From the home offices of Ash and Flow, this is Unbillable Hours, a podcast about professional services marketing. Stick around to listen to our insights, tips, and best practices to improve your firm's marketing and even your career. All recording in progress, right? Clark? Yes, indeed. And then I say, welcome, everybody. Welcome, dear listeners, to this most recent episode of the Unbillable Hours podcast, where Ash and myself are very pleased to be joined today by Martin Williams. On, on LinkedIn, you go up with Martin J. Williams, right, as we just discussed, the founder of the B2B Marketer. Like, it's literally the b2bmarketer.com. I'm still jealous of the URL. <laughs> where, Martin, you help essentially B2B consulting firms, right, deliver effective marketing for, as you put it, a digital world is that a fair introduction yes yeah the, the, the digital is very much in response to what people think they need but marketing's marketing right whether it's digital <laughs> or digital. that's true um, nice nice he comes out swinging yeah no we like mm -hmm. that so yeah. which, which i mean this is how we found you right we read a lot of your content and agreed with a bunch of stuff so so we thought we we have to invite you because you have a lot of very helpful and, and helpfully framed or packaged ideas to share. And one of those stood out to us in particular, and that was because it related to something Ash and I had referred to in previous episode, this idea of building trust with yep. strangers, right? As it is the job. And also I think the digital part comes in here as well, because building, so this refers to a different conversation I recently had, but building trust with strangers through digital media is Maybe even a bit more tricky, right? Because there's more reason for distrust if I only meet you through the internet. So, okay. But you have a framework there, which we found for, well, specifically that purpose to answer that question, right? How do we best build trust with strangers? <laughs> and so we thought we'd bring you on and interview a little bit about it because we hadn't really drilled down into the concept or actually answered the question for how do you build trust? So do, do you want to introduce the listeners to what your pyramids is or the, the pyramid of building trust maybe yeah yeah sure sure let me think where to start if i give a bit of background then you'll understand why i created yeah. the pyramid of trust and um, so my background has very much been as a management consultant and i started my own consultancy and i did what everybody does when you start a consultancy which is that you sell to people that you already know um, and in a short period of time you think you're successful right you, think you know how to build and grow a business but then kind of around that two-year mark you suddenly find that you've exhausted all the opportunities with the people that you know and you suddenly have this marketing problem and I knew so little about marketing I didn't even appreciate and I share this comfortably while I was also thinking well what was going on in my head but I didn't really appreciate that marketing led to sales right which sounds like a bizarre thing to say but if I go back to when I was in bigger consultancies the marketing team produce the odd case study here or there, maybe a flyer or something like that. They didn't really have to draw people towards us. It was more they were providing support for people already in the sales process. Mm -hmm. You know, So that's when I had to learn how to do marketing as such. And I spent an unbelievable amount of money. I've never wanted to work it out. But money and time trying to initially outsource the problem thinking, actually, I've got this marketing issue. I don't understand marketing. 
let me pay other people to do it. Um, and I took advice from business coaches. I've not done that for a long time. From digital marketing agencies, telemarketing agencies, I, I, you name it as a tactic, I tried it. And I remember having a conversation with a digital marketing agency one day and they said to me, you know, we're getting some really great results if things are really working out. And I was thinking, my phone hasn't rang once, right? I was like, <laughs> we're literally talking in different language. And it was infuriating. And I promised myself that I would never be in that position again where I was paying for a provider to advise me and we weren't talking the same language. So that was when I kind of veered off and started to learn how to do this stuff for myself. I spent a lot of money on courses, a lot of different courses, bought a lot of cheesy, awful stuff from America. What I kind of realized is that most marketers know very little about marketing, certainly from a strategy perspective. I'd say 90 plus percent of marketers are tacticians and they're experts in a tactic, but they don't really understand strategy and they understand a B2B professional services firm even less. You know, so if you yeah. think maybe yeah. 10, 15 can years I, ago, I, right? Yeah, jump in there just super quickly because it's a fascinating point and I tend to agree that that, that might be true but I but sometimes I, I'm going back and forth on this I'm saying okay the, you know too many marketers are like you say tacticians they don't understand strategy but then I also th think in, in professional service in particular it's often through no fault of their own because they've been hired to do that right they have been the, oh. the marketing function is there to be the workbench the issue then therefore and this also correlates maybe with your story is it falls back on the principal or the owner, right? Because they should be figuring out the strategy and then tell the tactician guys, you know, what to use as inputs into whatever tactics they're running. It's, it's, I, well, mean, I mean, I, I don't even know where I'm going with this. All I'm, I guess my main point is yes to 100% what you're saying and it rings very true with and, and similar to many other conversations I've had. You, you're certainly just, not the only one who does not necessarily believe marketing leads to sales. <laughs> no, no, I'm fully agreeing and... Before, I don't want to digress too much, but just want to say that a lot of people who end up in professional services marketing, they do as directed folk rather than the people who set the things. And because they, when they're doing as directed, they don't see the connection between marketing and sales. They just need to hit yeah. a set number of KPIs, which have nothing to do with what you're trying to achieve. And I think Ash and yeah, I have, I don't know if you have made an episode about us, but we've talked about us a, long, a yeah. long time. These people are in these roles because the firms hire them. They, they yeah. might put out job ads where they say, oh, we we are searching for a strategic this and that person. But then two paragraphs below, it says, oh, you also need to run the Twitter channel and know about LinkedIn. You know so in the end, they, they search for the tacticians, as you said. Sorry. So. Yeah. yeah, you were saying more. Short right. in the mission. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, th I think it's a good point. I think there are kind of two reasons for that. I think one is, say, 15 years plus ago. So, so most professional services firms marketed by going to the pub, right? If you're in London, you just go to the pub. And that's where you'd meet <laughs> lots of people you'd be down in Canary Wharf or in the city and you'd know people. And what you'd have is you deliver a big project for one of the big banks. And then that project would come to an end. Most of that team were there purely for that project. Yes, they may be contractors or whatever. They then show up at another bank and then they pick up the phone. And you, so effectively we didn't really have to do marketing in the past. And mm -hmm. also I think part of that is because sort of pre-information age businesses sold secrets right they didn't need to tell you how to do stuff they just needed to show that they knew how to do something yeah. in today's world we can go to google or youtube and we can find literally anything as to how to do it so 
now in terms of marketing, we've got to be in that education game and, and we have to show and tell people and use experience and examples of how we've already done that thing. Okay. So I think that's one of the problems that PS firms never really needed to market. I think the other problem is when they market now, what they really need is leads to fill the pipeline, right? So they market when it's too late. They think we need some more leads. Let's get some marketing in. Thinking that marketing is like in the consumer world where you run ads and then you ring up the till at the end of it. Yeah. And and the intent is so transactional, right? They're like, oh, we switch, push the marketing button. I need me some leads. Whereas what you're saying is actually it should be about educating, which is not about what I need and when I need it, but you know, it's like formal providing value in advance, right? It's like trying to catch something intangible with a paper bag. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But I mean, this sounds like going back to your story, Martin. So you eventually figured it out, is what it's. Is what it yeah, sounds which like, is what right? we are in here for. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess what what I figured out. So what I found frustrating is you know, I was doing lots of different tactics. You know, blogging, I did a bit of podcasting here and there, but that wasn't my thing. Writing is obviously naturally what I do anyway. Um. So so I did blogging. I read the articles, and it would tell me that my target audience would be in different states of kind of readiness or awareness. And that made me think, so have I, have I got to write three versions of this same blog article for those different audiences? And I just found myself getting overwhelmed trying to understand how to do all this. And then I came up with, I came across, so there's a chap called Derek Halpin from Social Triggers. He doesn't do marketing anymore, which is a real shame. But he used this terminology of your audience being oblivious or afflicted or informed. So it's in that kind of growing level. So they're initially oblivious of their problems. And a problem can be, a positive opportunity to realize or a challenge to overcome but you're oblivious to your problems then you become afflicted by them which is you know that you have them you're feeling the pain but you don't know how to solve it or you become informed which is that you now know how to solve it you're just deciding who you're maybe going to go with or which product you might select etc yeah. so then i had that initial notion to go okay i've got these three levels of kind of buyer readiness or awareness so the oblivious the afflicted the informed So then what I started to think is, well, actually, through my marketing tactics, I've essentially got to take people on that journey where I ascend them to to being informed. And in terms of ascend, what what I always saw, the notion of the marketing funnel to me always felt upside down for a professional services firm. We're not trying to push people through a funnel. We can't make people buy our services. You You might be able to convince someone to buy a Coke or whatever, but it's just a completely different mindset. So that actually, instead, we've got to draw people towards us and really get to a point where they're either happy for us to contact them, make an outbound call, or they'll make an inbound call to us. So that's where I then came up with this pyramid model that I call the pyramid of trust. And the idea being at the very bottom, before you even get onto the pyramid, is getting clear on what are the problems that your ideal clients are facing in the first place, because you mark it the problems you don't market yet. So I always say like problems are for marketing services are for selling. All right. So when most PS firms oh, start marketing, I'm just wondering, do, that's a nice one. Yeah. <laughs> Please uh, listeners <laughs> take out your unbelievable branded notebooks and <laughs> write that down. <laughs> that's a good one. The problems well, are that, for marketing, the services are for selling. I love it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But because that's, that's what I'd done. Right? I had, I'd engaged these telemarketers and I said to them, you know, go and call a bunch of strangers and see if they want strategy right this makes no sense at all bear in mind that 
no one buys strategy from a guy passing them in the street, you know? And if you do get to meet people in that context, it's generally tire kickers and time wasters. So it so made me realize actually, yeah, I need to be known for a problem, not for a service. So, so the start of the pyramid is get clear on what problems you're trying to help people to overcome. And then when they're oblivious, then it might be that you need to educate them on what that problem is, what that opportunity is. And I think in terms of the oblivious, they're not going to commit a huge amount of time to you. It's like milliseconds or seconds. So that's the kind of stop the scroll type stuff. So in a digital perspective, you might use a slide share, for example, which is mm-hmm. easy to consume, grabs attention quickly, and maybe introduces a problem. But then from there, I, I kind of learned the whole sort of premise of the pyramid is to never take people to a dead end. So for every single thing you do in marketing, you're always thinking, what's next? What do I want them to do? Even if it's, just if you're just in a LinkedIn post, if you don't finish with some kind of question or offer them to go somewhere else, then it's a dead end. That's how most people do LinkedIn, isn't it? They go, yeah. oh, we went here, or look at this article. It's just, it's just rubbish. So you had to get the attention of the oblivious, and then you needed to build trust in the afflicted. So that's where you then might do blog articles. You might have, effectively, when someone's afflicted, they're aware of their problem, they're going to invest more time in consuming your materials because it's in their interest, not because you pushed it upon them because they're pulling it towards mm-hmm. them. And then ultimately, as they ascend from afflicted to informed, that's when you can start to trade, right? So they may be, they understand they've got this problem so much, so they're willing to share their contact details to access your guide or your webinar. And I read your post the other day, Florian, around gated, kind of to gate or not to gate. And I'm very much the view, which is actually do both. So some stuff you gate, some stuff you don't gate. Yeah. But ultimately, as, as you ascend that pyramid, what, what they're telling you by consuming your content is that it makes more sense for you to contact them. So if you go from, say, at the very bottom of the pyramid, you might do telemarketing if you're desperate. You might do cold calling or whatever. But wouldn't it make a lot more sense to warm call someone at the top of the pyramid that's consumed a bunch of your content and given you the signals to say, we're afflicted by this problem? Yeah, we're informed yeah. you might be able to help yeah. us. And, and that you put your you're putting your finger there on something that I only I'm not sure I learned it or understood it, but I I learned to utilize it for myself f- fairly recently, a couple of years ago, maybe at best, which is this idea of understanding marketing from that perspective. You mentioned the tire kickers, right? And and this is also why mm-hmm. I like your permit with the very broad base. I think marketing makes sense if you cast a very wide net. And it's, it sounds a bit counterintuitive because in digital marketing, we, he- we hear so much about targeting and being super efficient, but it's actually more effective to cast a wide net and then build it out in a way that allows people to disqualify themselves all the time, right? Yeah. Because that means that if they, if this is not for me and I filter myself out so that only the people who are interested progress to the next stage or layer of, in your case of the pyramid, that's... I don't know why that makes such a difference for myself, but it really changed my thinking around how this stuff is actually supposed to work a little bit is reach a lot of people. And then I really like the word you just use and, and then gets, get signals from those who might be interested in the next thing. And then you focus in on them, but it doesn't make sense to be like many of those consulting firms often try and tell you when you, when they start briefing, like, Oh, we only want to go after the C-suite. Oh, we only want to talk to CSIOs or whatever. Right. To, to which I say, well, good luck. It's, <laughs> it's pretty damn expensive and the failure rate is very high. So we should probably consider a different approach. But yeah, no, I really liked this idea of the signals and having people raise their hand and show that they're ready for the next thing. 
Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point that you just touched upon there in terms of when consultants go marketing as such, like on a day trip, they're going to go and do a bit of marketing. But I always think that the kind of persona, the skills that you have as a consultant are often counter to what it takes to be a marketer. So you used the word failure mm. a moment ago. And I always yeah. think, so it's so in marketing, you, um, a, a, a good success rate in marketing might be three <laughs> You know, so, so you, yeah, you put a post on LinkedIn, one to 4% of your audience is going to see it. In consulting, just the notion that you would fail 3% of the time is enough to keep you awake at night, right? We don't do failure as consultants. Yeah. And the other thing I think we do as consultants, yeah, if I write a consulting report, then I've got maybe a dozen people that who are reading it that I'm trying to get them to the same point of view. Yeah, so my job as a consultant is to get people to a point of view. As a marketer, I actually want to do the opposite, right? So, so I want to be just as happy repelling people as I do attracting people. And yeah. I'm going to say things that are provocative. I'm going to annoy people when I'm marketing because I have that kind of freedom. And actually, because I need to have a solid and clear point of view on something. So I can be much more aggressive. And I also use different language. You know, I always say to people, I've never written the word love in a consulting report, but I might write it all the time in marketing material because I can bring emotions into it. Yeah. So actually when you're trying to get kind of old hard consultants to do marketing, you're actually, and, and this is where I think people fail. Like we've written some blogs when you read those blogs and it's sort of a kind of Frankenstein of, of between a bit of marketing and actually a consultant report. So, so actually to build this whole pyramid model and make it work, you do need people with that marketing understanding and mindset that can kind of extract the, the value from the consultants in terms of understanding their client, understanding the problem, understanding the solution, but then sort of weave in a bit more marketing type thinking and, and approach. So I was, it's very interesting in terms of the, just the notion of failure. And it doesn't work, doesn't live in the world of consulting, does it? If we do a consulting gig and it starts to go wrong, we'll do everything it takes to make it go right. It's very rare we leave a client unhappy. You know, marketing is a kind of different different thing. So, so anyway, so it's kind of, that's the notion of the pyramid to say that when you're doing all these different tactics, actually those tactics have to work in a kind of omni-channel way and they've all got to plug in together. And what you should do when you're doing a marketing campaign is define that journey that you're going to take people on from the bottom to the top of the pyramid. Yeah. And we'll link, I think I found the article where I saw the pyramid for the very first time. And then you, sh you showed it to me last, last time we, we spoke, but we, we can link people to the article on your website so they can see the, the thing because you have in the layers of the pyramids, you have, you put the tactics, right. That might lend themselves to the, the various stages. So, but maybe to just reiterate so people have can picture it or imagine it. So the pyramid has at the very base of it, or the, the foundations of it is the problem, right? Then the first layer is the buyers who are unaware. Is not what word? Oblivious. 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 Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. The way to look at it is this. So it's very deliberate. On 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 the left hand side, you've got the states of awareness, and on the right hand side, you've got the marketing outcomes, which are deliberately in A, B, C. Okay. So you need to get the attention of the oblivious. You need to build trust in the afflicted. And you need to create leads from the informed. So that's the kind of ABC yeah. nature. Imagine on the Perfect. left, oblivious. Thank you. Informed. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> All right. So 
And, and maybe we can talk a little bit more about, so that, that was the permit again, just to recap it. And then you already dipped into applying it in practice by saying you have, we have to design a journey or form some sort of hypothesis. What do, do these various stages actually specifically look like for our practice or for our service or whatever it is we're using the permit for? I did want to speak a bit more about how it might be applied in practice though. One one uh, question I wrote down, because when I look at the permit on your website, there's a lot of tactics in every layer. So my yeah. question was, do I have to do all of them before I can consider <laughs> one stage of the permit complete? Because that looks like a lot of work. Or can I have like one or two yeah. and, and then pull people through the layers? How would, what would you answer to that? Basically, it's an a la carte or a buffet. So I've stolen the term MVP, but rather than minimum viable product, mm -hmm. in this context, it's the minimum viable pyramid. Oh, so nice. what I say is, <laughs> I wish it was my acronym. But effectively, what, what I say is, what is the bare minimum that we need to do? And let's get that in place. And then we start to broaden it. So for example, I'm working with a, a client at the moment who are a software development, a bespoke software development firm, work with big corporates. We've got very clear on the three services that they're going to provide. So before you start on the pyramid, you kind of got to think about your products and services, right? You've got problems. What are the products and services that you're going to sell to people to solve them? Um, so we get clear on that and then we say, okay, well, within that particular problem, is there a specific kind of line of conversation? What are people thinking about? What are they worried about? How can we tap into showing their experts in that space? And then what I'll ask for is a minimum of one slide share. I'll obviously help create this, but effectively a slide share that grabs attention. And then I want really three, I'll accept one as a minimum, but really three blog articles that then go into more detail on what the slide share introduced. And then I want a lead magnet. And when it comes to lead magnets, I have this notion that you have what I call short form lead magnets and long form lead magnets. And the short form lead magnet is a spanner right? It's a tool. It is something that I can download right now and I can use. So it could be a checklist. It could be a form. It could be a bit of code. You know, just imagine going to the car garage and saying, can I borrow that spanner, right? It's something that someone's trying to fix a problem right now and you give them a tool to help. So that's a short form lead magnet. Yeah. The long form lead magnet is the kind of manual, right? It's the more deeper educational piece. Could be a long webinar, could be mm -hmm. a guide, like that. So I generally focus on short form lead magnets first because I think they're quicker to produce. Okay, so my minimum viable pyramid will be slide share, a couple of blog articles, and a checklist or something like that. And I'll, I'll give another yeah. good example. So very quickly, another client of mine, they do lots of work in the M&A space. So, and they explained to me that this whole process they go through when they try and understand their client and this kind of checklist. So what we did is we created a really short version of that checklist, almost a giveaway piece. And then that was our short form lead magnet. And off the back of just publishing that, uh, it was really cool. Uh, within the space of a few days, which very rarely happens, um, they managed to land um, a big client who were doing a divestiture. So, so that's the kind of model, you know, something that grabs attention. And then you use it obviously LinkedIn to start getting it out there. So, so first of all, again, take notes in your branded notebooks, please, uh, listeners, because that was a way more specific and practical answer than I had expected. So thanks for that. Pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, no, because you, you clearly have a very dialed-in process there. But also what I wanted to call out or or um, maybe even share a story, I really like the idea of the of the spanner and, being, and relating to a, a problem clients have right now, because 
I have made the same mistake. Like I, I tried to position, I don't know, here's my super complicated strategy framework, which is awesome as a lead magnet. And it turns out nobody cares, right? Because they don't have a meeting in their calendar next week to do super complicated strategy, but yeah. they do have a budgeting round come up. So I would have been much better off sharing a budgeting template in a spreadsheet, right? Than my thing, because my thing was about a root cause issue or, I, or the illness itself, not the symptom, but people go into the office and battle with the symptoms every day. So I really like your idea of having yeah, right, that the specific thing. I really like the image of, can I borrow the spanner because I need to fix that screw. So that is the right way of thinking for building those out. And yeah, I would have, I really love the distinction there. That's actually, I'm going gonna, gonna to note that down for myself because I, I do see that happen a lot that people spend money also because it sometimes gets pushed from certain agencies and so forth, right? They will have very lofty, very high, flying very big chunky thought leadership pieces or studies and those then either they fall flat in various ways very often they fall flat in lots of downloads and lots of compliments but zero <laughs> business everybody says oh that was yeah. a super smart piece of thought leadership love the graphics great report like you said no one <laughs> phone never rings right uh, or it yeah. falls flat in that people don't even download it right so yeah i really like the practical idea this is something well worth thinking about i think and something many consultancies do under leverage i would say i don't know if you agree it's, it's not enough mm. of that stuff <clears throat> i think sometimes it's putting yourself in that mindset of, of the client because yeah, obviously the types of people that we collectively work with they're busy consultants busy doing right and and again this goes back to that difference so when you're a consultant and you're doing something for a client and firstly they ask for it secondly they're going to give you feedback and it's mostly going to be positive feedback and you're going to feel good about yourself right you feel rewarded yeah. you do marketing it's the opposite to that right you're doing stuff that nobody explicitly asks you to create you might get feedback and it might be negative feedback so you almost run a mile from yeah. that kind of stuff so you've actually got all these really cool things you use internally but you're not looking at them through a marketing lens. And why would you be? That's not what you're there to, to do. So I think that's the opportunity for marketers is to really understand what's happening in the business. What are those guys? You know, rather than sort of saying what the service we're trying to push, you know, go, go and spend some time with them and see how are they delivering the consultancy, which then yeah. allows you to go, actually, yeah, we could carve that out there, make that a lead magnet. Exactly. That stuff will often exist already, right? Someone mm, somewhere yeah. probably has that template built as a spreadsheet. And like you said, they use it internally, but no one has ever thought about, you know. Yeah, that's sure. because they think about it as cross purposes as opposed to the fact that they're both connected in one area or yeah. multiple areas in, a point, in this point. I, th I think there's also a nervousness, isn't there? The way where people think, like the whole notion of being a thought leader. So, so you kind of got thought leadership. Content marketing is the yeah. way that you get the thought leadership out there, as you know. Being a thought leader is about telling people how to do stuff, right? And if you start adding on to that the idea that you give them some of your tools, right? The idea if I go and take my car to the garage and I borrow a spanner, I'm never going to go back there. It's a bit naive because generally if I pick up a spanner, I normally break stuff. <laughs> There's going to be more reason to go back there. But I think people become very nervous about, well, what if we give them the answer? You know, And, and I always say to, yeah. to clients, anyone, if, if you provide that short-form lead magnet or a long-form lead magnet, you tell someone how to do something and they don't buy from you, you didn't lose them as a client because they were never going to buy from you in the first place. But what you might have done is gained an amazing referrer, right? Somebody that goes, actually, I got this stuff from these guys and it was amazing. You should go take a look 
I did it myself, but you know, so, so I think you really shouldn't be too fearful about giving stuff away, so to speak. Because you know, like it's very simple, isn't it? If I go to use that garage analogy, I'll overuse it, but if I go and get their torque wrench or whatever, I don't know what I'm doing, right? It's just because it's in my hand, it doesn't make me capable of using it, right? Yeah. So it's, there's no no real risk, I think, we, we've given some. We, we have two metaphors in this podcast, which you might like, and you can totally steal. One, We always say, one, there's no Michelin restaurant chef who's gone out of business by writing cookbooks, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Because yeah. having the recipe really and doing it myself <laughs> still very different from having the experience of getting it done, you know, getting prepared professionally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the other thing is fitness coaches are not afraid of sharing how you do a push-up. Because mm. they know that the value is not in me knowing how to do a push-up. The value is in me doing a hundred of them a day, which yeah. probably requires someone to yell at me, right? For a fee <laughs> so that I actually do it. So I think both, both things can be said. But the know-how, and this goes back to your earlier point, right? The firms didn't share that stuff earlier on because they used the value used to be net. Nowadays, it's not that's the commodity. I'm sorry to say it. Your know-how yeah. is very likely a commodity being able to apply it and to affect change in often fairly complex and, and layered organizations, that's the thing the clients actually pay you for. And they cannot do that by downloading a checklist, sorry to say it, right? Maybe, maybe yeah. they could, but probably they still make a cost-benefit calculation and they, you know what? I'd rather not be doing this myself, <laughs> but get a yeah, professional yeah. To, to do it. <clears throat> this is why there will forever be consultants and consulting um, and the same goes for, for marketers. You know, I think there's too much of, especially on LinkedIn, there's too much of everything you're doing is wrong and what you need to do is this model here. As if every business and every scenario has some commonality to it that means that it's just a formula, right? Because if, if that were the case, we would all be rich or actually no one would make money through business because it's just a formula. So, so I think the real value, whether you're a marketer, whether you're a consultant, whether you're clients, whatever it might be, is to know these models and frameworks and approaches, but then to be able to apply it in the unique circumstances of that particular business and its clients, et cetera. I think LinkedIn almost, it kind of frustrates me at the moment because people are just constantly saying that everyone's stupid. You know, That's you're running just a the social media thing, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's enragement, it is, enragement yeah. is engagement. Yeah, but speaking of that, yeah, right. I, had, I mean, we've gone through your pyramid, Martin. So, mm -hmm. and we'll point people to the audience. Yeah. So, thanks for that. But speaking of LinkedIn, I had a few reserve questions prepared here, and one that might relate to the pyramid is: I see on LinkedIn all these posts all the time, and I will say outright that I disagree with them. That these linear models, the linear buying journey is that the AIDA or AIDA principle is that, right? The, the funnel is wrong. We could extend that and probably say, these people would probably also say your permit model is not helpful because this is not how buyers behave or this is not how it works in reality. Do you have a response to that or? Because I yeah, have so, one. <laughs> so I have a picture that I use for this, which is so just around the corner from me, there's a nature reserve. And in this nature reserve, there is a tarmac path that effectively it has a has two right angles in it. So almost like a dog leg. And then if you look at it on Google Maps, what you'll see is all of these crisscross paths through the grass that humans have gone and made, right? Because they've not yeah. followed a defined path for them. So the way I look at it with the pyramid is we're defining a path through through our content, but actually at every opportunity, we must give people the chance to shortcut, to leapfrog to go up, yeah. to, to go back down and to go back up again. So the idea is that 
as you broaden your minimum viable pyramid, you're providing more roots, more links. I guess it's like the synapses in your in your brain, isn't it? More connections, effectively. But you should always allow people to pick up the phone, right? Maybe someone doesn't need to go through that. They just heard about you, and they just want to book a call, right? So, so let them do that. You're not going to say, mm, have you read that stuff yet? Because if you haven't, I can't talk to you yet. You wouldn't do that, would you? So, so I think the frameworks are a way to say, rather than a bunch of random acts of marketing, you know, a couple of podcast episodes, a couple of blogs that don't connect to anything. The idea of the pyramid of trust is to say, well, actually, let's try and make it a bit more programmatic. That's sort yeah. of thing. If we're going to put a bit of effort in here, mm-hmm. like if we're going to go on a podcast, for example, what are we going to do off the back of it? And if I may very quickly, I'll give you a good example of this. When I first started my business before I was doing the marketing stuff, I wrote, I had an infographic created and it was on the role of the CDO, Chief Digital Officer, which you never hear anymore, versus the CIO. And I had this infographic created and I got contacted by this journalist in the States who wanted to interview me. And then she wrote an article. And in this article, she'd also interviewed um, the a head of strategy at PwC. So like amazing. So there was my one man consultancy in an article being my yes. views compared to this chat from PwC. But because I knew nothing about marketing, it was a total flash in the pan. All right, so, so I, I, I had no follow-up. It was a total dead end. There was nothing to say, yeah. go to the website and download this new lead magnet or read this next article. It was just a flash. <laughs> it was great for my ego, absolutely useless for my business yeah. because there was no logic to it. Yeah. No, that's my, that's, I would say, is exactly right. The point of all these linear models or the funnel or whatever never was to truthfully and 100% model how people behave in the wild. They were only ever there to structure the way you work and you think about Mm. your content and you prepare your materials. And that's why they are very well still today, why they are very helpful still today and why all these people brandishing the graphics. And there's a huge analyst firm among those of the spaghetti monster, super complicated buying process. My question to them is, okay, thank you for the new model. How does this change the practice? How do I think yeah. about writing blog posts? And their answer then is, or their silence speaks volume, right? because it doesn't. You still need to cover, you still have to have content for, like you put it, the oblivious for the afflicted and, and for the informed. What order they'll take in reading that stuff, honestly, I couldn't care less. I just have to make sure that it's there and that the interconnections, yeah. like you said, are there so they can yeah. find their own way, but that's it. And and I think the models, and this includes your pyramid, are insanely helpful for this and way better than just going about and what's going your response, what's your response going to be to a, these are random patterns that you can't be randomly creating content, you'll, you'll get nowhere. So anyways, that was yeah. my rant about something on LinkedIn that annoys <laughs> me all the time. Last question, maybe I'll... Oh, no, sorry. I have one more about the the model of the pyramid there from a practical perspective. So I'll I'll keep that in. What is, so I'll presume that at some point, social proof, and and you referenced it at the beginning, right? So just being able to not just claim stuff, but show it, I think was the the word you used, that that you can do it and that you know it plays a role. So can I use the pyramid when I'm just starting out? Like when I don't have reference cases or client examples to draw from? Yeah, it's always, it's always that chicken and egg thing, isn't it? You've got those case studies or testimonials or whatever, but every business started from nothing, right? And, and at the very yeah. least, you could, you could look at your pre, look, look at your testimonials you've had before, like LinkedIn references or whatever, or go back to clients that you've worked with before. You know, I think like most consulting businesses will start by selling to people that they already know. And it's very rare that they'll just yeah. go blind. Um, so, so you generally you, you'll find that there are people around you. Like my my longest client 
who's moved across businesses with me and is it's a big leading global firm in what they do. They've been my client for 17 years. You know, so I think you get nice. you'll get people around you that will support you and that will help you. Um, so I wouldn't worry too much. So, so does the framework work for businesses of any size? Yeah, I think it does because what it does is it makes you think about what you're doing. You know, yeah. like, like the, I think when you first do this, you think if I write a blog article for these blogs as an example a lot, but let's say I write a blog article and people will call me and it won't happen, right? Or if I go on a podcast, that means people are going to really like what they hear and they're going to call me. It might happen. You can't really plan for it to happen. You know, so I think the frame, the pyramid of trust model just helps you to think about, well, I'm going to do something next. What's it going to be? And what do I want my prospective buyers to do? How am I serving them? And helping them move forward. So yeah, I don't think it matters what size you are, how much social proof you've got. Like case studies are, are in the tactics in, in the middle. I think case studies can appear at different places. But you know, I I don't have case studies on my website, for example. I've got testimonial statements. So I think you just yeah. be good at what you do, right? Create good content and you'll demonstrate your expertise that way. Yeah, and just uh, I think you can always also write hypothetical case studies like academics do, right? And how with business review and stuff. You can look at another company from the outside and say, here's how I would have done it or whatnot, right? There's always ways mm. of showing your expertise that way. But I think so the permit works no matter what size and stage you are, is a very good place to maybe leave this or tie a bow in it, or is that the English expression? So Martin, thank you very much for stopping by. Yeah, thanks for joining um, us, Martin. Do you oh, have, course, where, where can people find more about you or the B2B marketer? Which that's yeah, just the URL. Where can people reach <laughs> out, basically? <laughs> <laughs> so you can find the B2B marketer at the B2B marketer.com. So the B number two, B marketer.com. And on there, all my content is on there. And yeah, there's always stuff that needs improving. But generally within my blog, I've created hub pages and I try to demonstrate the pyramid on a page as such. So it kind of ends up coming upside down because you start with the basic stuff. But yeah, go have a nose on the, on the website. That's probably the best place to go. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah. All right. That was a great one. Thanks, Martin. Thanks, everybody yeah. else for listening. Ash, do you have any last points? or No, no last points. There might be some, yeah, well, no last points from me for this one. I think, Flo, it's time for your infamous line. Oh, yeah. I'm going to stop the recording here then. Have a nice weekend, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>